Meet Your Maker makes professional-grade grinders, vacuum sealers, sausage stuffers, dehydrators, and just about everything else to turn your garage, deer camp, or kitchen into a meat processing haven. Meat only sells their processing tools direct to consumer, cutting out the retailer markup guaranteeing you the best price. Meat also has the only lifetime warranty in the industry, and Meat ships your tools direct to you for free. Visit MeetYourMaker.com and use code WAYPOINT for an exclusive discount, and get ready to deer IY this fall. Hunters, before getting into this next episode, we want to thank you and our sponsors for supporting the Flushman Dustin podcast. Keeping our dogs safe while hunting, training, or traveling from one location to another and helping them perform to the best of their ability is important to us. We keep a first aid kit from Gundog Outdoors in our trucks and carry one on our hunt-ready vests in the event our dogs obtain an injury while hunting. We also carry their water bottle to keep our dogs hydrated while in the field. To check out these products and other safety gear, head over to Gundog Outdoors at gundogoutdoors.com and use code RINGNECKS to save 10%. We transport our dogs to the hunting and training fields in our G3 Dakota 283 kennels. These kennels are one solid piece of military grade material and now have the option to add a feature called Dakota Guard. This adds an antimicrobial protection to the kennels that is FDA and EPA approved and is proven highly effective against Salmonella, E. coli, and much more. Not only do they care about the safety of your dog, they also care about your dog's health. Dakota 283 also provides other specialized gear to ensure our dogs have enough water and food for a full day's hunt and to safely store and secure our gear in our vehicles. Check out Dakota 283 at dakota283.com and use code RNR10 at checkout to save 10%. To ensure our dogs are primed for the field and receiving the nutrition they need to work harder and to help maintain their joints, we feed you Canuba dog food. We feel Yukonuba Dog Food provides our dogs year after year with the strength and endurance to perform at the best of their ability. Lastly, become a patron at patreon.com for exclusive giveaways and discounts. Again, thank you to everyone for helping us continue to bring you Flushem and Dustin episodes. Hi hunters, thank you for tuning into the Flushem and Dustin podcast brought to you by Nick and Tyler. The boys from Ringnecks and Retrievers. In this podcast, we will talk about guns, dogs, gear, and our successes and failures in the field through our combined 40 years of experience. We speak with hunters just like you from across the nation about their days in the field and the many memories they built with their friends and family. We are excited to have you listen. Now let's get to Flushing and Dustin. Hunters, welcome back to the Flushing and Dustin podcast. Uh, we are excited to have you back on. Tonight we have a special guest he is known as the quail hawk on instagram uh his first name is actually tyler just like mine so that's pretty cool um you can find him on instagram at quail underscore hawk so tyler could you introduce yourself and give us a rundown of what you do and how you hunt right on uh my name is tyler sladen i i live in central new mexico i uh i hunt with shotgun a good bit but i mostly hunt with uh male goshawk named hash brown um i've got a string of uh english setters i've got a cocker spaniel and then i've got a little yag terrier Um, and then i've got some beastlers as well so does um so i got a little bit of everything how Um, does mostly oh go ahead yeah we mostly hunt scaled quail uh gambles quail and a little bit of mern's quail where i'm live um if we travel we'll hunt anything else but that's the three that i have around the house 
So what got you into... What's it like not having to have the... Ex- Go ahead, Tyler. Oh, what did what, you, you say? What got you into hawking or hunting with a hawk? Uh, I was in the Army at the time. Um, this was almost 10 years ago. Um, I had seen um, a group of falconers. They were out hunting with some terriers and some Harris hawks, and they were hunting squirrels. And... Um, at one point the humans almost became irrelevant in the equation and it was just hawks hunting with dogs chasing squirrels and i was like this this is so cool um i had no idea like what else could be done at the time and then over the years i've seen so many different types of falconry and that's that's probably the biggest uh, draw to falconry for me at least is that uh there's just no matter where you live there's so many different combos and ways you can do it whereas gun hunting you're pretty limited on uh, flushing dogs pointing dogs every now and then you'll have someone hunting over something weird like a border collie or something but it's pretty routine with how everybody does it but falconry i mean if you're hunting quail you can hunt quail with a hair sock over pointing dogs you can hunt them with a merlin falcon over flushing dogs you can hunt them with a goshawk over pointing dogs and um, there's just so many different ways or you can go hunt rabbits with all those same birds too and it just depends on what you want to do and what you got so how do the hawks differ so you say do you have a goss hawk yeah so i have a north american goss hawk so um birds of prey are separated by wing shape typically um so you've got long wings broad wings and then eagles so and then you've got short wings as well so a goss hawk would be what we would call a short wing um so a way a short wing works is their rapid acceleration typically off the fist so um, you flush quail and they chase quail off the fist. Whereas like a falcon, they would go up really, really high and then you would flush ducks underneath them and they would come down at like 150 to 200 miles an hour and then hit the duck or hit the grouse or whatever they flushed for it. And that's, that's how those work. So those are the the big differences. And then there's broad wings, which would be like your Harris hawks, your red, your red tails. They can hunt anything from squirrels in trees to rabbits off the fist to um jack rabbits off the fist whatever you want and then sometimes some people take red tails and they'll they'll hunt from a source similar to a falcon um but their their birds are up there for much longer than what a falcon would be on a on a duck flight <laughs> it becomes <laughs> information crazy. overload like really fast yeah, yeah. Like, there's, there's so much to it i didn't realize that people hunted squirrels and rabbits and ducks like you know oh, I yeah, figured, they, like that's insane they hunt everything man there's there's groups of falconers that only hunt starlings and sparrows um, <laughs> and they'll do it in a home depot parking lot that's it's just that's what's cool about falconry it, it it changes so much based on where you live and who's doing it like when i lived in st louis i only hunted I hunted primarily starlings with a kestrel, um, like a little kestrel falcon. I mean, they're, they're about the size of a can of Coke. They're, they're tiny. Um, and and he stacked them. He caught so many starlings. That's crazy. So how do you go about training a hawk to know what to do when a bird, like, let's say for your quail, what to do when one flushes and then kind of bring in, how do you train your dogs to also, be cool with a hawk with that, 
I mean, this you're, we're talking about one of the oldest ways of hunting in existence. So there's so many ways to do it. Um, so, I mean, I'll just talk about what I do. So for a goshawk and quail, the main thing is keeping them confident on quail. They naturally want to chase quail because goshawks are very reactive in nature. They see something moving fast and they want to move fast too and catch it. That's just how they're wired. Um, so in the beginning, it, it's a matter of keeping him in shape, but also keeping him confident because, um, when I was raising him, um, he didn't know how to catch quail and he didn't know if he would chase quail the full way that if he got a second chance at that same quail, um, he had the better chance because a hawk's got more stamina than a quail does. It's they're, they're a light meat bird. So typically when you look at a bird's meat, um, when, when they're, when they're light meat, they, they're not made to fly long distances. So quail and pheasant i mean they'll fly a good ways but compared to like a sharp tail or a sage grouse it's it's nothing they they don't fly that far at all so for a hawk to fly down a pheasant or a quail is much shorter of an order than it would be to ask them to fly down a sage grouse um and that's why you would hunt sage grouse entirely different than how you'd hunt quail so in the beginning um it was a matter when he was young quail were young too and then our falconry seasons are different for that reason so we would um we were catching three quarter grown quail at the time, but he was three quarter grown. So it was a three quarter grown hawk catching three quarter grown quail. And then over time he became more confident in, in his abilities and his fitness also improved. So uh, eventually he was catching adult quail and, and then his second season, he didn't need that early start. He didn't, I didn't even pull him out of his chamber till mid October. So by then quail are fully grown and he was just catching adults or full size. Um, <laughs> so crazy. Yeah. As far as introducing the dogs, I don't like to, I used to think you had to introduce puppies and that was just, I just didn't know any better and I didn't have the well to draw from to say, no, you don't need to. Now I wait till a dog's at least a year old, has a pair of brakes installed and then I'll, then I'll introduce them. Um, and at that point the hawk already knows trained dogs. So the hawk will help help you train that dog too because the hawk has a personal space um bubble and they don't want dogs inside that bubble for the most part or at least mine doesn't he uh he'll give a dog an education really quick if a dog enters his bubble and they figure that out it's a they've got they've got talons and they're pretty fast and just their body posture alone usually by them flaring their wings at a dog most dogs with a brain are like i don't want any of that um i'll wait you'll see in a lot of my photos like dogs they'll hide behind me or they'll go lay off to the side they just they know they, they know to give him his space and uh some dogs learn faster than others which is pretty much all i can say on that um i still i have a five-year-old dog who still kind of forgets those boundaries every now and then but he gets a reminder all the time and it's not for me it's from the bird and that's fine because my bird's trained but if my bird was early in development i'd be a little bit harder on the dog just because I don't want him to interfere with what we're trying to achieve. That's crazy. So how long will hash Brown be able to do this for? I don't even know. Like, like, you know, dogs are saying, Oh, if they can hunt 10, 12 years, it's pretty good hunting. Life. How long can a hawk go for? Um, there's guys out there still hunting goshawks after 20 years. Um, that oh. is an insane anomaly. Like that is so not normal. Um, I mean, ideally in a perfect world, if they were in a chamber, they would live that long no matter what. But, um, when you're hunting them, there's so much that can go wrong with a bird. Um, 
I, I know of three goshawks from other Falconers this year that all died hitting fences. You got to think they're chasing quail at 55 to 65 miles an hour. When they fly through a barbed wire fence, that's a dicey situation. So um, that's just one thing. I mean, there's electrocutions, there's stray dogs, there's coyotes, eagles. There's a lot of things. They got to run the gauntlet every day. So um, I'd say the average goshawk that makes it through its first year in falconry, probably five, six years is a good run before something crazy happens. But it just, there's, I mean, my season our season for falconry is 180 days and um on average i get out there at least 150 so that's a lot of room for things to go wrong with a bird um i'm pretty good at mitigating those risks um keeping them away from electricity keeping them away from stray dogs and people on dirt bikes and stuff like that but things like fences and red tails and eagles that want to eat him and um coyotes coming in on him on rabbits you can only do so much to mitigate those risks those that's just part of it so what is what you just walk out in the field with him on your arm yep like um i collar up the dogs i let the dogs go let them get a little bit of distance i pull him out of his box i put a transmitter on i check to make sure the transmitter is working and then uh he rides my glove until we flush quail how much does he weigh you he just Sorry, you both ask the question at the same time. How much does he weigh, like carrying him on your arm all day? So he's about 660 grams, so he's about a pound and a half. He doesn't weigh that oh. much. <laughs> but, I, I mean, keeping then, your when... arm up and balanced and stable for three hours at a time, I mean, you get used to it, um, but he doesn't. So when a, in the gra- when a quail flushes – then hash brown will just take off or do you got like a little string on him or like he's free to do whatever he wants i I, the only time you'll ever see me hold him back is if like someone's on a dirt bike's coming up or a truck's driving by or something sketchy but usually i'm stopping the dogs at that point too um it's just where i'm at in the desert you, you can't go anywhere and not run into people i mean i've been 20 miles away from town and in the middle of the desert and here comes karen and two huskies on a leash and just you never know <laughs> I, I we have a running joke it's the desert makes people materialize and it never fails like my wife was out hunting her first bird one time and we were in the middle of nowhere we hadn't seen anyone in two hours and right as her bird caught a rabbit here comes like six kids on dirt bikes i'm like i i, I don't know my wife wasn't used to it at the time but i i told her i was like there's it just happens you got to share the space so that's part of it. So when obviously you give a release or you release, um, hash brown and when he catches the quail, what's your, what's your next step after that? Or if he doesn't Um, catch the quail, how do you get him to come back? I mean, do quail ever get away? Oh, they get away all the time. Um, so a lot of times, um, the average, chase would be about 300 yards 300 to 400 yards um that's how far they'll fly with a goshawk behind them yeah so a lot of times if i don't get there fast he'll be on one side of the bush and the quail is in the bush and my bird is so excited he's like running circles around the bush well the quail will squirt out the other side and i might not see it and he might not see it so that's a good instance where they get away and then there's a lot of times where they just go down badger holes and stuff like that and it just 
you're not getting them out. So um, that happens a lot. Um, at that point, I, I don't know if he has it or not until I get there. So either way, I'm, I just go pick them up. Um, a lot of times I can tell. And then him and my male Vizsla, my oldest Vizsla, they, they've got like this um, little anarchy thing going on where they'll see me coming and most of the time uh, he'll hold it, but sometimes the dog gets excited and will reflush it again. And then like I had just ran 300 yards. Well, it just goes another 300 yards and they're off to the races again, like right as I get there. And it's like, damn, um, I enjoy it. Um, I, I'm, it's cool that they have that relationship, but sometimes like I want to get there, catch my breath. I'm like, all right, give me a second before we start this again. But they, uh, if you haven't seen it, it's, it's really hard to explain, but I try to take everyone out well, that, that I can. That that makes sense. Like if they're getting quail to fly that far, I see why if you're if you're if hash browns, you know, on the ground and coyotes are around or something, hundred percent see how he could be taken out because he's so far away from you. Yeah, and it's it's not so much on the quail that he that he gets taken out. Like he's had like five or six rabbits over the years stolen from him by coyotes. Um so he catches a rabbit 200 yards away and a rabbit, I mean, I mean, what does a predator call when you're calling predators? It's a, it's a rabbit scream. So when he catches a rabbit, every coyote in the area comes in and um, I've had a few tangles where the coyotes running away with the rabbit and the birds hanging off the side of it. And uh, that's terrifying, man. It's, it's just such a scary situation. Um, there's not much you can do. You can't, if the bird's hanging off a, a rabbit in a coyote's mouth, you can't, can't shoot at them it's not going to do anything so all you can do is yell and hope the dogs catch up fast but like my setters aren't going to do anything like they're not going to throw down with a coyote so man that is crazy <laughs> I, I thought the bird was I, like i thought he was bigger than just a pound and a half you know like from the the pictures that i've seen you post on instagram i was thinking he was more like five or six pounds you know would be able to no. tangle yeah, with a like a rooster size, you know, like a little bit bigger than a ringneck pheasant rooster, but yeah, pheasant weigh about twice what he does usually. They're pretty big. Man, that is crazy. Jeez. <laughs> um, I, I it hasn't happened to me, but I know people that have had rooster pheasant kill their hawks over the years. They, there's a reason roosters are so bold, and you see them walking out in stubble. Like they're not afraid of much, you know. They they have those spurs for a reason, and they do kill hawks with them. And that's insane. Huh. So when you're storing or not storing, you, you, you have hash brown in his his pen, his flight pen. Is that what he's in or what? Like what's he's got a, cage? he's got a chamber in my backyard and the only, it, it's essentially a shed with windows, but the windows are um, conduit bars that are all vertically slatted so that if he grabs against it and puts his feathers through it, it's not going to fray and mess up his feathers like a, like chicken wire or something would so it's just it's just a fancy chicken coop we would call it a muse and falconry um and then everything is backwards so all the studs and framework is on the outside so that it's completely smooth on the inside so uh -huh. that he doesn't hurt himself but he and doesn't how really big, bounce. how big it's, is that uh, shit? it's the one he's in is eight by 12 by 12 so it's uh oh 12 feet wide, eight feet, uh, eight feet deep. And then 12 feet tall. He's it's pretty, it's pretty decent size. He doesn't really do much in there. He, 
he sits in the window and he um, my dog runs are all around his chamber so he sits in the window and watches the dogs all day and judges them for being dumb dogs <laughs> essentially they're all his peasants so <laughs> yeah, shit, they don't want to mess with him yeah they know they know better so do you get him out like do you get him out and like how do you keep him fresh you know in the off season or like when you there's, first there's get nothing. I mean, from from about now till september he'll be in there and i bring him food daily and fresh water daily and that's goshawks by nature are very solitary so um he, he doesn't really want to be bothered when so when he's when he's hunting he's at what we would call a hunting weight which is about 650 660 and then when it gets colder it starts to creep up a little almost about right around 700 grams but when he's molting and he's growing new feathers in the off season he's up around like 850 almost 900 um so when he's at weights like that he really doesn't want much to do with me um he just he's cool with being 15 feet away and looking down at me from a perch, but that's about it. He doesn't really want to be bothered. So he's, so he's pretty sedentary in the off season. Yeah. He's got, I mean, food comes through a shoot every morning and he's got fresh water. So he, his needs are all met. So they're pretty, they're pretty cool with just doing, doing their thing in there. Um, but then come like mid September, I'll pull him back out and he'll be in the living room for about a month while I cut his weight. Um, he's got a perch and a big, I bring a big horse stall mat. My living room's pretty big. So I bring a horse stall mat in, put some moving blankets down. And then I, then he does like um, uh, small exercises to earn food each day and he's got to go back to work. And what that's doing is it's, it's putting his fitness back in check before we start showing him quail because if they're not fit and you start showing them things they normally catch, um, you'll burn their confidence and then they just won't chase them anymore. Um, if they don't have the, the fitness to do it. Jeez. That's crazy. That's... So where do you, like, let's say I wanted to get into falconry or chasing quail with a goshawk. Where do you go one to find someone that, breeds these uh and then like what's a resource for learning how to to train one so uh so their falconry is legal in 49 states of the 50 hawaii is the only one that's not legal in so you'd start out by going through your state club every state has a club so what state are you in we're in iowa iowa so there's there's actually quite a few falconers up in iowa um you would just reach out to your state club and they'd put you in touch with someone who had time to help you. And, um, you would take a test through your state. Um, it's, it's, a usually about a hundred question test. And then, uh, you would build that chamber that, that hash brown has, and then a game warden would come and inspect it. And then your sponsor, the person that agreed to help you learn, he would take you to trap your first red tail and then you'd go get a red tail and, you would train and hunt that for two years under his supervision. And then at the end of your two years, if you did good, he signs off and then you get your general status. So all in all, I mean, once you find your sponsor and you get your chamber built, I mean, you're just really waiting until the beginning of hunting season and you'd go trap your bird with your sponsor. So you, it doesn't take that long to get into. 
it's once you're started, you'll, you'll realize the more you learn, the less, you know, it's just one of those things. Um, Cause I mean, you could fly a red tail on squirrels for your whole life, but there's people that take red tails to the next level and they catch pheasants with them. Um, they would, they'll put their red tail up on like a telephone pole over a ditch and go flush pheasants out of the ditch and their red tail will catch them on their eyes. Um, and that's what some people do. So you could be doing that in a couple months from now, if you, if you chose. Um, oh, that's crazy. I'm like speechless. Uh, there, I don't even know what. I don't even know what to say about that. <laughs> yeah, one of the biggest goshawk awesome. breeders in the country is up in Iowa. His name's Lance Christensen. He's up in uh, northwestern Iowa, and he hunts pheasant and uh, stuff with his goshawks up there. Is this guy on Instagram? No, Lance is not really a social media type, but I could give you his contact info. Man, most falconers, just... m- most of the older falconers, are very not like the social media type and. It's understandable so yeah i think can you have just... more than one hawk at a time or can you only have the one in your apprentice years you can only have one so for your first two years you can only have one and then every state's different when you reach your general status and then um after five years you would bump up to what they would call master status and then at that point you can have as many captive red birds as you want but you're still limited to three wild birds um but that's that's <laughs> it's just insane to me this is crazy. so you literally so hash brown it was is he your first bird no he's not, not even close he's okay. uh yeah i've had quite a few birds so uh so literally these birds are they're not like a dog breeder you know where they're they breed the dogs they sell them you know you literally go out and trap all these birds and then train them well you would yeah you'd trap one and train it but yeah you, you would drive down the road once trap it so every state's different so i don't really know iowa's laws but i'd assume sometime mid-august early september you know you'd be allowed to go trap red tails and what you're looking for is you're looking for a juvenile red tail you can't just trap any red tail you would need a a first year bird and they look very different so it's very easy to tell with them in hand and uh you'd find them on a telephone pole and you you'd set a trap under that telephone pole with like a gerbil in it you'd drive away and you'd watch with binoculars and the red tail would come down off the pole and get caught on your trap and that's it you're off to the races at that point you're you're gonna do you you use like a box trap or what type of trap so you don't harm it um they would call it a bc the a bc is essentially it's it's basically made of hardware cloth it's like quarter inch hardware cloth and it's a box but it's got um like nylon nooses on the top of it and there's a gerbil that runs around on the inside that you put in there. And uh, the red tail comes down, tries to grab the gerbil. And when, in doing so, he's going to get his feet snared in those nooses. And uh, he can't fly away with that trap. The trap's got weights in it. And then you would jump out and grab them real quick and get the nooses off and put equipment on them and start your journey. Holy shit. <laughs> so is the is the hunting season like is is that the same like as it would be for shotgun for instance out in, out in Iowa it starts you know last weekend in October and goes through January 10th is that what your season would be is or different because you're 
using falconry. Uh, so with fa- yeah, no. So each uh, once again, each state's different. So for but most states, um, they'll give you an extended falconry season. So it's usually, um, which only applies to non-migratory games. So um, duck hunting and stuff like that, you still have to follow the regular laws. But with like upland birds um, here, it's September 1st to March 1st. And the limits are different. Like you, um, for here, like the limits for quail is three a day instead of 15 with a gun. Um, I do believe Iowa probably has a extended fal- so it's probably September 1st till March 1st or October 1st till March 31st. It just every state's different. Um, I'd have to look, um, but it's, I'm almost positive they have a extended upland season just for falconry. So this is crazy. Like I, I'm actually just, it's hard to even fathom how you how this works i mean it's obviously like you said it's been around forever you know but and a lot of people know how to do it but can you go but if you remember can you go back to like your first hawk that you got and kind of give your experience of the difficulties that you ran into you know and like what you had to learn obviously to make it be successful yeah um i actually I struggled quite a bit when I first got started. I mean, I was around a lot of good falconers, but um, I wasn't as, so my first bird was a red tail and I mostly hunted squirrels. And uh, I had a new dog at the time that I'd, I'd never trained a squirrel dog in my life. So I had a new dog, a new bird, and I didn't even really know what the heck I was doing. Like I knew how to hunt squirrels, but I didn't know what good squirrel habitat looked like. Um, So and then I lived in St. Louis, so it's a very urban sprawl city. Um, that that was probably the hardest part was um, learning not only how to find squirrels, but how to find squirrels that you could hunt. Like, yeah, you might see squirrels all over neighborhoods, but you're not going to go hunt squirrels in a neighborhood. You're going to you need to go find them in the woods, and that's that could be that could be a, a deep learning curve for some people. Um, like I grew up hunting deer and turkeys, but you see squirrels, but there's a difference between seeing squirrels and then finding spots where you can see 20 squirrels an hour. And that's, that's so night and day. And that's, that's probably the hardest part about falconry. And that is why I I really try to get gun hunters into falconry because they already know their quarries, you know, like you guys know how to find pheasants. So um, if you had a red tail showing a red tail pheasant, wouldn't be that big of a leap for you. You would just have to learn the bird side of it. So like someone like you guys would have a lot easier introduction to falconry than the average person, because the average person I see get into falconry, they weren't a hunter first. They use falconry as their gateway to hunting. And that's a steep learning curve. If you haven't been hunting your whole life. Have you ever wanted to process your own wild game from start to finish? Meet your maker has you covered. Meat makes professional grade grinders, vacuum sealers, sausage stuffers, dehydrators, and just about everything else to turn your garage, deer camp, or kitchen into a meat processing haven. Meat only sells their processing tools direct to consumer, cutting out the retailer markup, guaranteeing you the best price. Meat also has the only lifetime warranty in the industry. And Meat ships your tools direct to you for free. Visit MeetYourMaker.com and use code WAYPOINT for an exclusive discount. And get ready to 
Deer IY this fall. I mean, how does a bird not just fly away? Like, so there's a there's steps in between. Like, um, like Hash Brown, he's a goshawk that I raised from hand. So every meal he's gotten in his life has come from me. So okay, that's different for him. But with her, like a wild trap red tail, I mean, they do take off and fly away. But while you're training them. The first step is to get them to step off a perch to your glove for a piece of meat. And then, so that's a battle of will for a couple of days. And then, then it's, they fly three feet from their perch to your glove for me. And then it's 15 feet. And then eventually they're coming, then you're outside and they're flying a hundred yards from their perch to you for food. And then once they're flying that far and they're doing it every day, pretty consistently, you have a feel for what their weight needs to be to get a response out of them. And then, once you figure out that weight, usually the weight they'll come to you at is a weight that they'll chase stuff at. So you put them up in a tree and on the edge of a, a field and flush a pheasant or a rabbit or a squirrel, they're, they're generally going to chase it. Um, and they can't fly off with those things. So <laughs> you catch up to them once they're on their rabbit or their squirrel and you would put down the lure that they've been eating off of in your care for three weeks now. And you, we do what we would call a trade-off and they would step off their kill to cleaned meat on a leather lure and then they would eat off that and then you would take the squirrel from them and you put in your bag and you'd give you them their, their daily ration and then uh, either go go home and do it again the next day or it just depends. Dude, that is absolutely insane. Like, it sounds it's, a ton of fun to it's so much fun, man. Like, don't get me wrong. I love gun hunting and I love developing my dogs, but doing a, once I have a developed dog and putting a bird over him is it's just in its own realm. And for me, um, and then I, I have buddies that have dogs that I'll fly my birds over. If, if, if it's a buddy that's got a good enough handle on his dog and the dog's broke, I don't, I don't mind. Hey, that would be hunt. Do you hunt all over or you just stay? Um, I hunt all over. Like this year, this year we hit Arizona, Montana, uh, Texas, Colorado, and Utah. So I, I travel a good bit. Man, if you ever come to Iowa and want to do some like Bob White quail, you should let us know. Yeah. I'd love that. Because I wouldn't even take my dogs. I'd just want to come out and see this thing work. Like, dude, this sounds. You, Awesome. The I guess the thing I've left out the most is you guys will be mystified to see the way quail and pheasant act when you have a hawk that's actively <laughs> chasing them. It is oh. so different. Like, and then the way quail and all those birds respond to not only like my goshawk, it might be different if I had a Harris hawk. Like it's crazy how much they know about the birds that are in the air um, just through instinct. Um, I used to try to fly Oplomatos on quail and, they uh which is a type of falcon and man they do not want to fly when there's a falcon above them they know what a falcon is and they know they don't want to get in the air with them i guess that's um, why you have that shirt that says run faster die, die flying, flying. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they run they they see the hawk and they don't want to fly they they want to run um that's why i taught my visa verbal flushing because a lot of times my hawk will be hovering and the dog's running and the quail are running and scalies are known for running, but they run even more with a hawk. And uh, 
the dog wants to point the hawk's hovering and i'm trying to get him to flush because i can't get there i'm not as fast as a dog and at that point they're already 50 yards in front of me and uh he'll get the quail going but a lot of times only like 10 out of 30 will get up and fly and you'll have quail running through your legs they're so scared of the hawk they'll run right through a human's legs it's hilarious um it's, it becomes Jeez. chaos really quick it amazes me that they can even like that they can even see that hawk and some of the brush that they're in, right? Oh well, they see the silhouette of their wings, and that's that's well, what it is. That they're like, nope, I'm done. That shit's crazy. <laughs> so would you say, would you say that a a pointing dog is is much better for doing this, or would you rather have like a flushing breed? Um. For what I'm doing, a pointing dog is very helpful. But for falconry as a whole, like probably most people's falconry, flushing dogs are way better. Because um, they run and whatnot. Well, they'll keep up with the hawk. They're going to flush. I mean, and any flushing dog is going to flush a rabbit as hard as it's going to flush a, a pheasant. So throughout what you're doing in falconry, a flushing dog can be used on anything. You can use... I mean, you can get a lab going on squirrels if you really wanted to. Like my friend Hannah's up in North Dakota and she, uh, she runs her Vesla and her red tail on squirrels and the Vesla has learned to be a squirrel dog. It's kind of, it's kind of cool. But then she'll put the hawk up and she'll go out and gun hunt over that same dog. And they learn the difference really fast. They know. So do you limit out like every time that you're out then Tyler? No. Um, man i i wish i wish there's there's days where the hawk's just not feeling it and we'll catch one and we're done and then there's days where he's johnny on the spot and we'll catch three in an hour and and catch a rabbit on the way to the truck so last year the quail limit was six so i've caught limits of six before and that's that's so hard that he has to be like so perfectly dialed in and the dog's got to be on it too Cause you only have like a two, three hour window to hunt, you know, like you're only going to get a response out of this bird for so long. Like you're not going to go out there for six hours and chase game. They're yeah, going to get bored. Yeah. Um, so um, I have one dog that she doesn't really care for the whole falconry thing. I mean, she'll participate, but what we would do is we'd be catching one quail and I'd be giving his, him his ration for catching that quail and she'd be 500 yards off on the next covey so i would walk from one quail catch to a fresh covey and we would just leapfrog that way and that was the only way i was able to ever do six quail in under three hours that's just it took a very fine-tuned machine to get it to happen and it it didn't even end up happening till the end of the season last year my goodness that's just absolutely (laughs) insane we would have liked we went to montana last october and uh we were hunting huns and uh a pheasant got up and put into a like a real thick i I guess it would be a fence row it's just like a row of trees between two cut uh, crop fields and uh my hawk put a pheasant into that and we went in to go get that pheasant to fly again and uh i sent the dog into flush and pheasant came out of there like cockroaches but they would not fly it was like Looney Tunes, like 10, 15 pheasant just running every direction, but they would not fly. They were so scared of that hawk. They were like, no, I'll run to safety. That is crazy. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> hey, I just I'm speechless. Can't imagine, you know. Oh, it was it it was new for me. Like I had never seen anything like that because I mean I don't get to hunt pheasant much where I'm at. So, so when you gun hunt, do you? I mean, do you really enjoy it as much anymore? I mean, oh, totally. Um, I still enjoy it. I mean, I don't. I'll gun hunt all like I'll gun hunt mornings and then my hawk. He, He's kind of got a schedule. He usually wants to fly in the evening. So I'll gun hunt mornings and then eat lunch and then kind of putt around and then get the hawk out in the evening. So, man, that is so awesome. Where do you, where's your next trip to? I don't have any plans for next season yet. That's, I haven't made anything yet. I don't, I don't know where, where I'm going to be at, but I, sh- my dogs, I should have a solid string of dogs for next year. So I'm pretty excited. I'm telling you, if you make it to anywhere yeah, in Iowa, Iowa, you definitely have to let us know. We'll we'll meet you. Yeah, I'd be down. Um, We'd love to. I really want to get over to that part. So I, I've done this side of the country a whole bunch every year, and I need to start going and doing different things. So is would your uh, would your bird now be able to handle? pheasants if you came to iowa or would you yeah, still carry caught, a gun he's caught i think he's caught about a dozen pheasant in two years he's he's caught a few um we just don't have them here so he doesn't get to see them consistently and then is there a obviously i you know pheasant you can tell male female very easily is there a law or a regulation no we're allowed to yeah we're allowed to catch hens oh nice I mean, obviously I don't want to, um, but we're allowed to. The other thing with falconry is um, I can let that hen go. She's not going to be, she'll be fine. As long as the dogs don't catch him and it's the hawk that catches him, I can get him off of anything he catches without him killing it. They're actually pretty bad about killing stuff. They're uh, even quail. Like I generally am the one that jumps in there and kills it real quick. And then he'll (laughs) go back to plucking feathers because um, so falcons will reach in and break necks. They've got that little notch on their beak to break, um, to sever vertebrae, but hawks don't have that. So he'll generally just eat something until it dies. Like it's, it's kind of gruesome, but that's just how they do it in the wild. They're, they being humane doesn't cross their mind. So that's why we as falconers will, will move in and we'll, we'll kill the jackrabbit or kill the pheasant or quail or whatever it is for them. Just so it's, I mean, I, I don't watch falconry to watch him fight with a duck fighting for its life on the ground for 45 minutes. It's not really what I want to see. So I'll just reach in there and stretch its neck and then give him his, his food and be done with it. So if he catches like a hen pheasant, I can get him off of it. It's no big deal. That is awesome. Yeah. Jesus. Do you have like a recall form? Obviously you said you give him like a portion of food, but let's say. He'll come uh, to the lure. Like okay. if he goes and lands on a telephone pole or something, he'll come down. Yeah. Um, his recall isn't the best. Um, unfortunately, um, when you're trying to get them to do things like fly quail and fly upland birds, it takes a little bit more fitness than it would a rabbit. So in order to do that, their weights are a little bit higher. So their response to recall is a little bit slower, which is fine. Um, if we're putting up game, it's fine. Um, it's when he gets bored and he's at those high weights, it can be kind of a pain in the butt. Uh, 
Man, that is. So he, like you said, he literally just rides in on your hand while you're yep, out yep. there until a bird I'll ride the gloves or... He'll sit on the glove and look around for two, three hours. Um, How do you transport him? Like to the field? He, he's got like a, it's an upright box that's tall and skinny and it's got a perch inside. It's dark in there and he's trained to generally like he's got a routine at home. Like he, when he's not hunting, he, he's got a weathering yard where he's tethered to a perch. I'll go out there. I'll pick him up. I'll come inside. He'll fly to his scale. I'll check his weight and he'll go from his scale. He'll fly into his box and I'll close the door. He's, he's pretty pattern trained to do that on his own now, but he's done it 400 times, you know? He's, yeah. Yeah. How old is he? He's uh he'll be two in June, but this, this is the end of his second hunting season. So. so how many birds has he caught then roughly in those two years? He's caught over, He's caught over 400 quail in two years. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, he's, he's caught about three dozen ducks, like 400 quail, and probably about 150 rabbits. He's, he's He's pretty good at what he does. So, What kind of um, ducks is he catching? He will not touch a mallard. He hates mallards. Mallards fight back, so he's not a fan. Um, he's caught wood ducks, um, some ringnecks, some gadwall, and uh, widgeon. And shovelers. He loves shovelers. He knows shovelers are slow and he knows they flush last. So if we flush a group of ducks, he'll pick that shoveler out of there like nothing. <laughs> wow. And he just like just takes it right out of the air, just Yeah, he'll like a linebacker coming in and just smokes. So it. with Falconry, well with a goshawk, ducks generally we're flushing them off a ditch. So the whole group will get up and they'll start to go and He'll fly and he'll hit the deck real low and then he'll come, he'll, he'll hit right underneath him and he'll go straight up and grab him from below. Um, this year he caught a wedge in about a hundred feet in the air and it was probably one of the coolest duck flights he's ever done. And man, he, he wanted a piece of that wedge and he, uh, he plucked a male wedge out of a group of like 30 or 40 and it was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> he just goes up like, i mean he might go right into the middle of this whole group and just yeah he'll go right he'll fly past 10 and grab he, he just picks one and he, that's the duck he's just gonna grab keeps just like a missile keeps locked on that one and just goes yeah for it. i don't know i don't know how his targeting system works but he when he decides which one he wants that's it same with quail like i've seen him chase a quail that was running on the ground and miss and then now there's 15 quail terrified. So they lay down and 14 will fly away and he won't, he's still staring at one. And then that one that he wanted will get up and go and he'll chase that one. So it makes me want to scream sometimes because sometimes it's the one that flies like the direction I don't want to go, but he can't do anything. <laughs> so do you have plans for your another hawk or your next hawk or, or what's your idea i'm gonna like ride this wave as long as i can man so generally a goshawk does not want to participate with a crowd or new dogs well i've got one that's down with both and uh i'd like to keep him as long as i can so, so does i don't want to train a new bird for a long time <laughs> does he interact I, with your family I guess I don't know if you have family or I said, but does he interact I'm, well with them if you do? I've got a wife and son. He'll handle for my wife fine just because there's days where I work late and I'm like, can you 
can you bring him in, check his weight and feed him? And she will. Um, I mean, she's going to hold it over my head, but she's very good about it. Uh, my son knows that the, not to touch the bird. He's very good about it. He gives them a 10 foot birth, just like the dog. Um, but he's not afraid of um, him. Cause like when he's in the living room in the early season, my son walks around and plays around. I mean, he knows better than to mess with them. Um, but that's it for family members. It's just my wife and son. And what do you do if you have to travel, if you're going to be gone then? Like if I had to leave him at home while my wife, yeah, let's say here? like, or no, let's say you take like a week vacation or something. What do you, I've got, a, I've got friends here in town that okay. are Falconers as well. And it's kind of like, a, it's like an unwritten code, like, Hey, I'll feed your birds when you're on vacation, you'll feed mine. And we trust each other. Uh, one of my buddies is he's a falconer and he lives a couple blocks away. So it's not oh, really nice. a big deal, but even if um, I didn't have that, I could have my, if he was in his chamber, he's got a food shoot. It's just a PVC pipe with an elbow. I could have my neighbor stop by each day and drop a quail down that shoot for him. And it'd be, he'd be fine. So that's what you feed him as a quail. Every- um, I, I feed him a variety of things. Mostly I feed him rabbit. Um, I try to, I like eating quail the more than I like eating rabbits. So he gets rabbits. I get the quail. Um, and I give him all my diver ducks. He gets all the divers. Nice. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, you got 400 quail there last two years. You got a lot of birds in the, a lot of meat in the freezer. Well, unfortunately the possession limits kind of apply. So I've got it. You can only keep like 30 quail at a time. So, um, I eat quail as I catch them generally. And then, uh, but I, I'll I'll breast out a bunch of ducks and have a like ba- Ziploc bags full of duck meat for them to get them through the season. I do a good bit of duck hunting too. So, and then I've got a lot of friends that duck hunt and don't eat divers that'll bring divers by. Is there any sort of like competition in this? Like you know, they have you know like dog trials. You run your dog. Is there like a hawk trial i guess i don't know if that makes any sense uh, they have those they have some overseas but they're those are falcon races and then here they have what they call a sky trial and that's that's just falcons and they're not that big i mean there's like a hundred or so people that participate in those events not that many um but as far as competitiveness no not really I mean, there's some small competitions. Like there's a group of people that fly uh, peregrines on ducks and they have what they call the ring off and they compete for, they made like a WWE style belt and they pass it between each other every year. And whoever catches the most ring neck ducks with their Falcon gets to engrave their name on it that year. But like, there's no like official contest. There's just like funny quirky ones like that. That's awesome. And then there's the guys that fly eagles on jackrabbits. They've got a small one they call the jack off, where whoever catches the most jackrabbits <laughs> with their eagle. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's only eagles. like, yeah, there's some people that fly eagles. Um, unfortunately, there's only about probably less than a dozen of us in the country that hunt quail consistently right now. So, um, not really much room for competition, you know. That is so awesome, man. It's very cool. What's one of your best stories that you have with falconry with your hawk? Uh, man, there's so many. A good one that sticks out. I was taking a buddy out. He's not a falconer, and uh, 
we were trying to relocate a quail that had put into a bush. And uh, so I was there putting around with my dogs trying to get this quail back out. Well, my bird in the meantime saw a rabbit and chased it away. So uh, he didn't catch the rabbit. Well, I told my buddy, I was like, go grab my bird. Like, cause he'll step up to the glove for pretty much anyone that he knows. And so my buddy, he walks like 200 yards away, picks him up. And then is walking back towards me, but on his way back, he flushed the covey. So the whole covey flies to the same bush I'm trying to find the quail in, and the hawk flies in tow. So he was just trying to go get my bird, but instead he ends up catching the quail on his way back with my bird in between my legs. And I just looked at him like, this this will never happen in a million years again in this exact setting. And we just sat there and laughed like, we're trying to find one quail and then he catches a quail between my legs off his fist and he couldn't get over it. I couldn't get over it. It was, it was a pretty, pretty good time. Um, another good one that comes to mind is I was trying to catch ducks. So I live in Albuquerque and every farm here is flood irrigated. So they have canals all around the city. Well, ducks use them and you can't gun hunt them, but you can catch, catch them with your bird. Well, I had flushed a group of ducks. My bird missed and it landed on the other side of the canal so I had to go to the crossing, which was like three, 400 yards down before I could get across. And uh, in the meantime, my bird went and decided to catch a guinea hen in someone's yard. And uh, I don't know if you've ever heard guinea hens, but they're very, very loud when a hawk grabs one by the head. And uh, I get over there, I'm panicked. Like I probably just caught Betsy's prized pet guinea hen. Like I'm mortified and it's in her like front yard. So I get my bird off of it and I toss the guinea hen and it flies away. And the lady comes outside and she's like, oh, did you catch one of the guinea hens? And I was like, yeah, but he's all right. I let him go. Don't worry about it. And uh, um, he's like, don't, she's like, don't worry about it. Um, they've been feral here for like 15 years. And I was like, so I could have kept that. And she was like, yeah, catch all the ones you want. And I was like, are you kidding me? I finally can guinea hen, like something that I ever catch on my own. And I let it go. And turns out I could have kept it. And she thought it was hilarious. She's like, yeah, those things are annoying. You should have caught them all. So that was, that was a pretty, pretty good one. And that's, that's <laughs> awesome, man. <laughs> well, there's so I many weird things like that. That'll happen. Like uh, a buddy of mine, I think he was up in Iowa was hunting rabbits near an HOA, like kind of like in a woodlot behind the HOA and a, yeah the transmitter said his bird had flown in someone's house and he was like, well, that's weird. And you know how they have those basements up in that part of the country with the window wells. Oh yeah. Yep. Well, they knocked on the door and they were like, Hey, this is weird. My transmitter says my bird is in your house. Well, the guy was very rude. Like he was like, no, it's not. There's no way your birds in my house. Well, they came back in like an hour with two more receivers and there's now three receivers saying this bird is in this house. Like it's bona fide in this house. And they, they called the police and the police let him in. The police went down the basement and uh, sure enough, the hawk was down there had plucked the entire rabbit clean. There was every square inch of fur on that rabbit was in that basement. And he was, that rabbit was going to town eating that, or that bird was going to town eating that rabbit. Well, his Vesla was down there too, sitting next to the hawk, protecting the hawk next to this hawk that was eating a rabbit in this man's basement. Turns out the, the hawk, the rabbit, and the dog had all gone through the window well window and into the basement. It's an unfinished basement. And the guy was like, I'm so sorry. I didn't know they were down here. 
Um, oh, so yeah, this, this hawk, this dog, and this rabbit all ended up in this man's basement. And I'm sure if that guy tells this story, it's even crazier than me telling this story. So that was always yeah. one of my favorite stories I've heard. <laughs> shit is crazy. Jesus. And this is back before we had GPSs for dogs and GPSs for birds. So it's off radio signal. So it's like maybe, you know, maybe it's not actually in this house, but no, it turns out it was. But oh the dog my. being in there was like the cherry on that story. Yeah. But I just, I can imagine this guy telling this story at a bar and like to a bunch of people that don't know what falconry is and people being like, no, that didn't happen. Like, yeah. you're full of it. <laughs> no shit. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, man. Well, Tyler, we definitely appreciate you taking your time tonight to tell us about falconry, to tell us about your bird, how you got into it. Man, this is, this is super incredible. Um, incredible definitely stay in touch if you get up in the Iowa way we know some areas that uh, have bobwhite quail um, yeah I'd love, love to do that love to take you out you know we'd love to see your bird work and how your dogs work with them and um, definitely keep in touch with us and we can try to set something up well same offer goes to you guys if you want to come hunt quail um, our quail season opens in November and duck is open at the same time so I've got spots we can duck hunt in the morning and then go quail hunt in the afternoon awesome that'd be awesome so, yeah man we'll definitely that, keep in touch so if, if you guys come down here and hopefully we can get you a desert slam get you a Merns, a gambles and a scaly so oh, that'd be sweet that'd be sweet <laughs> that'd be awesome so again we appreciate it you yes, thank you very night. much. Right on, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Right. Take Talk care. To you, later. you too.